Welcome back, everyone, to Check the Kick podcast, SureDog.com. I am the host, Devin, and pretty interesting stuff from the past weekend that we're going to talk about, and then we'll move on to UFC 294. I've got a special guest coming up in the second segment of the show. First segment of the show, Out with the Old. We're going to just get right into it. We're going to get through it as fast as possible because it sucked. Um misfits boxing probably the worst two televised fights that i have ever seen back to back definitely the worst two televised boxing matches that i've ever seen back to back um supposedly they did like 1.3 million pay-per-view buys we'll see but we had logan paul facing dylan dennis i can't even believe i'm saying this on this show but i it's combat sports and then we had tommy fury fight ksi it would have been more interesting if all four of them were just dumped into the ring at the same time and they all just fought each other but first fight logan dennis oh my god logan dennis logan paul dylan dennis um it was just bad Logan was just kind of throwing sloppy combinations at Dennis and Dennis just kind of fought behind the high guard and walked him down the whole time. He tried to jump guillotine, got hit with one ground and pound shot, got DQ'd. He's appealing it because supposedly Logan's security team got into the ring too fast. The fight was just terrible. Um, and then KSI and Tommy Fury, the, the commentary on this was is extremely biased. Hawani was on there, a couple other people. But they were saying that they they expected Tommy Fury to, you know, actually show more boxing, but he didn't have the opportunity because KSI was just bouncing at range, looked like he was almost doing jumping jacks, bouncing at range in this bladed karate type stance. And then he would come in, flail a big overhand right, and then just engage in the clinch. Um, The rightful person won that fight, but it just sucked. Like we're getting scammed here, guys. You know, we're we're paying for fights. I didn't pay for this, but um people are paying for these fights. They are expecting a fight to happen, and what's what we're watching is just not a fight. Like it was bad. Um not too sure where they go after this. Quite frankly, I don't give a shit. Um I this you could throw away in the outside garbage because it's stunk. Um, yeah, I just you know, shout out to the UFC 281, sorry, the UFC Vegas 81 main event, Edson Barbosa and Sadiq Yusuf for putting on a real fight because those two, I mean, again, we're being scammed here. Um, You've got guys like Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence and even Canelo's last fight was a little bit lackluster in my opinion, but these guys are are coming to box. Even the Francis Ngannou, Tommy Fury, as much of a, as a sideshow that is, this, that's still going to be a real fight. These guys just didn't go for it, didn't put anything on the line. We're paying top dollar for fighters that do put their health on the line, and we're just not getting that. Um, so... Uh, Hopefully misfits boxing doesn't happen anymore. I think that was their opportunity for their Malinaji Artem Lobov thing. And hopefully it falls because I, I'm, I truthfully don't want to cover it anymore. 
Um, it was on during the uh, Lisboa fight, which was a bad fight. So it was just there was just bad fights on in general during that time on Saturday. Uh, I was interested due to all the sideshow shit Dylan Danis is doing. Got me a little interested, but the fight sucked. Both fights sucked. Again, throw them away on the outside trash. Mitzvah's boxing. That's all you're getting. Real fights. I'm going to talk about two fights from the previous card. There, there was a bunch of good, um, bunch of good wins. Uh, Terrence McKenney went out and got a 20 second knockout. That could have very well been like a seven second knockout because the first knee up the middle crushes opponent, sent him reeling back. Kind of looks at Herb, stalls a second, ground and pound, 20 second knockout. Beautiful. Michelle Pajera gets a beautiful knockout win over Andre Petrosky. Kind of just one shot at him. Uh, really good, really good way after all the, the BS surrounding um, his last 170 pound fight booked against Wonder Boy. He kind of just made all that nonsense go away with this big, with this big knockout win over Petrosky. So that was dope. Um, Good, good on him. Great win. Great performance. It just all around, all around good. First fight we're going to talk to about, talk to you guys about from that UFC 81 card. Adrian Yanez gets TKO finished by Jonathan Martinez. And this is a really impressive and great performance by Jonathan Martinez. We need to start talking about him as um, one of the better kickers in the UFC in general. He's got a game like, he's, I'm not going to call him a one-dimensional fighter, but he's definitely a one-track-minded fighter. And once that dude gets his kicks going off on people, there's just not much anyone can do to stop them. He's violent. He, the way that he kind of pivots out, changes the angle to still land the kicks, it was impressive. This is the second loss in Adrian's UFC career. He's been finished in both of them and finished very differently. Um, he got clubbed. He, he tried to go and have a, a punch out fight with Rob Font and hindsight's 2020. If you look at Rob Font, Rob Font's fights, you, you'll think, man, Marlon Vera and Jose Aldo just went out there and punched with him and hurt him so many times. Why can't I just do that? Why can't I knock him out? Uh, again, you know, I've spoke on this before, but if you really look at it, those dudes couldn't finish Rob Font and they are clearly more durable than Adrian Yanez. And they're just clearly better fighters than Adrian. And I love Adrian. I think he's a great guy. Um, but the way he got finished tonight, I don't think he was, I think he just needs uh, his, his Metro fight club issues. Well, when his head coach salsa Lee's died, he, you know, it was like, 27 or 28 years old, end up taking over the whole gym, becoming the head coach. That's a lot on your plate for a, for a young guy. And I just don't think he's getting those proper training camps anymore. He's such a good boxer. He's so slick and, and, and so punishing with his hands on the inside. Like I would love to see him go to like a Trevor Whitman, something like that. But this fight here um, really predicated and, and was just all about the kicks from Martinez. Again, Martinez was firing the kicks from the inside. He has the ability to just change the fight with like two or three kicks. It, it, it was really impressive. Adrian 
also, again, I just don't know if he fought with the best game plan here. He needed to either have a, you know, a Sean Strickland versus Israel Adesanya type performance where light on the front leg, pressure, check the kick, move forward, throw your jab, move forward, force him on the back foot. He went for it a couple times, but he, Adrian was getting into the pocket, trying to throw combinations and then exiting the pocket and then just getting crushed for it where he, he needed to have a, a more of a intelligent forward pressure game causing Martinez to get on the back foot. You're going to eat leg kicks against Martinez. That's his thing. You know, another guy on this card, Chris Gutierrez, his main training partner, a, another major leg kicking guy. You have to stop that. And you you can't circle on the outside. Adrian was, you know, circling, trying to stay on the outside. Adrian, Martinez is just going to cut the angle and kick the shit out of your leg. And that's what he did to Adrian. Um, there was something that was posted on Twitter where Adrian kind of was getting on the scale. It looked like he took a misstep and his leg kind of wobbled. Someone retweeted it at him saying, you know, is this the reason why you got essentially so beat up so easy from those kicks? And his response was no excuses. Who knows? All every fighter goes into a fight with an injury, but I don't think it mattered. Martinez is one of those dudes where they don't he has that like Alex Pereira leg kick where like it doesn't look that hard they sound thudding and they look they just look incredibly damaging um what a night of kickers on this card UFC Vegas 81 we had Barbosa Gutierrez Jonathan Martinez all these dudes slay people with leg kicks Martinez is a guy, if you match him up properly, like why, why couldn't he go out there and just kick Sean O'Malley's legs over and over again? I, I mean, that's a potentially winnable fight for him with his style. But then you match, you think about, he called out Marab. I don't like him in a fight with Marab. A Marab is a guy that will put that pressure, will close the distance on you and force you on the back foot and will not allow you to get those kicks off. Those leg kicks happen at a very specific range where if you crowd that range and you don't give that space, they cannot get that kickoff. And Yana's just didn't have a game plan for it. He was done after three or four kicks. He was falling to the ground, grabbing his leg, screaming, not too sure why, not too sure why the fight went on as long as it did, to be honest, Herb kind of mercy stopped it. Martinez in the post fight presser, he stated he was surprised that the fight went on as long as it did just due to the damage and, Adrian kind of grabbing his leg and screaming. Um, I picked Adrian Yanez in this fight. I thought he was going to fight with a much more intelligent game plan. I, I'm not. This isn't one of those wins for Martinez where it, you know, Adrian lost the fight. This wasn't this this loss didn't happen because Adrian. This this loss didn't happen because Adrian made one key mistake and Martinez took advantage of it. No, Martinez came out with a proper game plan cut down this tree, chop him wood. And I, I mean, when you have legs like his and you have that ability, you're going to, you're going to just F up so many dudes. I do think Yana's would benefit from a full camp, a real camp, a camp where he's not head coaching. And it's a tough go for him and all his training partners, Smotherman, like his main training car partner, his boy, a guy that's always in the corner with him got iced with the quickness on the contender series. Another one of his main training partners, Rafion Stotts, got iced by Patchy Mix in his last fight in Bellator. 
that camp is just it's all those all those bantamweights there in that camp, man. They're all main training partners with each other, and they're just they don't seem to be getting as good of training as they used to. Um, I don't know if they're all good fighters. They're all really good fighters, but I do think Yana's would benefit from a camp switch. Someone that can emphasize and and give him a game plan. I just don't know if he had a game plan for this fight. Someone that can you know help him develop a game plan for someone that has such a heavy kicking game. Enter the pocket, get behind your jab, keep the fight within punching range. Do not circle out. This is one of those fights for Adrian where he needed to rely on his inside footwork, but all he was doing was into the pocket, land his combinations, exit the pocket, get kicked. And like, if you're not an in crazy knockout puncher, everyone's a puncher at bantamweight, but if you're not some like one shot, artist hurt people with one punch like you and you're having those prolonged exchanges you need to have that footwork in the pocket l-step land your shots l-step land your shots um it's you know it's an easy comparison to make but i mean look at the way it's boxing not kickboxing but look at the way someone like mike tyson was able to bob weave enter the pocket land land his shots, keep everything within his range. When when Mike Tyson fought people, you know, 80% of his fights happened in his range. And that's what Adrian needed to do. This fight needed to be, he needed to de demand this fight happen in his range and he just couldn't do it. Um, big win for Martinez. Again, he called out Marab. I don't think that that's happening. But hell, the UFC might, you know, try to give him try to give Marab the shaft and say hey look you don't want to fight Alderman you don't want to fight the champion here you go fight this young contender I could see it happening um more than likely he'll probably fight Pedro Munoz it'll probably be on a main card of a fight night which is cool um or like maybe even like a prelim main event on a UFC card before the end of the year that that'd be great I could totally see him getting one back uh Pedro Munoz just beat his main training partner and his buddy Chris Gutierrez, they were on the same card. I would love to see Martinez get kind of built up. Such a soft-spoken dude. His nickname is the Dragon. I when I when I think about when I think about Jonathan Martinez fighting, I I just keep thinking about his loss to Davy Grant and how he got splattered. But like this guy's not a bum. Everyone gets caught. It's MMA. You don't get perfect records here. I need to put some respect on Jonathan Martinez's name. He's a damn good fighter, and he's a guy to definitely keep an eye out on. All right, all right, guys. The real fight. Jonathan Martinez and Adrian Yanez was a damn good fight, but this was a freaking fight. Not going to call it a barn burner, but this was a fight where there was crazy momentums, momentum shifts. Edson Barbosa defeats Sadiq Yusuf via unanimous decision. I scored a 48-45, a 10-8 round in the first round for Yusuf, and then Barbosa swept the rest of the fight on my scorecard. <laughs> Edson Barbosa's he's a freaking action hero, guys. Um 
the mental fortitude for a 37-year-old striker that has moved down a division that made his name at 55, which is a killer's division, moves down to 45. Edson Barbosa is just a fucking man. I got one F-bomb here. And hold on, real quick, Darren fucking Elkins. Darren Elkins does get another one in the UFC, does get a finish. Did he fight a bum? Probably. But still, yeah. So Edson fucking Barbosa, Darren fucking Elkins, two dudes, OGs. Barbosa comes out and just is willing to bite down, plant his feet, and just brawl with Yusuf. He found out that he probably couldn't brawl with first round Yusuf, got clipped up, was, I mean, on queer streets. He was out of sorts for five minutes this whole fight i mean there were other media other media members calling this a 10-7 round um i've been watching fights for a while and i've never scored a 10-7 they did score a 10-7 for Ilya topuria over josh emmett i don't know what round i don't remember but i know someone did uh this is as close to a 10-7 as you could get i don't know how barbosa came back from this the dude is you can get Barbosa out of there. There are dudes that have hurt Edson Barbosa. Um, I, I read his record out last time he was he was fighting here, but I mean, you got to be Justin Gaethje to go one punch this dude. And if you you need to be a pressure fighter, that's also a grappler, someone with a true wrestling and and grappling advantage and threat quite frankly over him um to make this game plan work and and yusuf was this close guys he was this he was this close to to making it happen but barbosa just hung tough did what he needed to do to survive playing playing bjj off his back the first round everything yusuf threw hurt him he was hitting him with shots behind the ear they were just swinging in the pocket swinging big, big hooks at each other barbosa looked like someone took a freaking cheese grater and just rubbed it on his face. He was bloody. He was battered. Um, and then Yusuf, you could tell about, I think it was like around the three minute, 30 second mark, he starts wrestling. And at that point I was like, oh, maybe he blew his load. Maybe this is him. You know, I was stuck in between. This is him trying to do what Khabib did. And this is him trying to do what Bryce Mitchell did versus this is him tired and knowing that, hey, I need to secure this round. I, I might be tired here. I need to get on top and try to do some damage. He landed a couple nice elbows on top. Uh, Barbosa was, you know, really fighting for these leg entanglements, these heel hooks. And we saw we saw recently uh, Ton Lee over in 1FC heel hook somebody. And then we also saw him absolutely bludgeon one of the best heel hookers in MMA and in BJJ, Gary Tonin. So heel hooks in MMA are just dangerous because it leaves you open. You got two hands on one foot and it leaves you open to get freaking blasted. But uh, Barbosa was just playing BJJ, playing off of his back, being active, just causing these weird entanglements to just, I mean, if you're making your opponent defend, then you don't have to defend. You're not getting clubbed in the face. So it was kind of smart. It was tactful. By, by Barbosa, I, I don't know if that would be me. I thought maybe he was just going to close his guard and kind of just hold on and keep his guard and maybe cause a stand-up. But no, the dude survived. He did what he had to do. Freaking OG. Comes out there, second round. When's the second round? 
he starts slipping the jab. And you know what he starts doing is he's like, hey, I'm having trouble finding this guy upstairs with my first shots or with my, you know, throwing a jab and then trying to throw a big hook or a big cross. Also, sidebar, Edson Barbosa's boxing. He's a great kicker, phenomenal kicker. He's one dude that has TKO and knockout wins with all different types of kicks, leg kicks, head kicks, body kicks, knees. He's very dexterous with his legs and very violent and powerful. But his boxing, his boxing is also very good. He's got big power in his hands. Um, the way that he was start enter, you know, he's he he forced Yusuf on the back foot and whoever was having the forward momentum and the forward pressure, whoever was on the front foot was winning this fight. The second he forced Yusuf on the back foot, this fight changed on a dime flipping. It's, it's like two heads of two sides of a coin. Um, Barbosa slipping the jab, started landing his jab. Anytime he would land his jab, he goes, Oh, if I could touch you at my jab, guess what else I could do? I could touch you to the body. His left hook to the body Yusuf's got a damn good poker face, but that this shows you guys the importance of body punching and kicking in MMA. You look at fights like Jan Blachowicz versus Dominic Reyes, where he just crushed him with the body kick over and over and over again, over and over again, made him get desperate, started using his hands, murked him, finished him. And this was just another fight where he's, he's oh, you're on the back foot now? You're winning this fight with forward pressure. I'm having a little bit of trouble finding your head and hurting you upstairs. Let me just crush your body over and over again. Barbosa's left hook to the body. Boom, boom, boom. Firing, firing, landing. Tons of success. Then he starts throwing the body kick. Firing. Tons of success. Tons of success. Oh, now I'm having success to the body? Well, that left hook's not going to the body anymore. That left hook's going to come wrap around your guard and club you behind the ear. Edson Barbosa's tough as fuck. Durable. Um, great cardio and and willingness to stick to a game plan and be able to take a beat take a i mean he took a look in and kept on ticking this is the first time too where he's you know he's lost rounds like against shane burgos he lost he came back and won this is the first time like he's gotten like truly truly shit kicked and and come back and win he's had wars with everyone wars with hooker multiple wars with Paul Felder, he, he's had wars with, with everyone. I mean, the, the beating Habib alone put on him would change 90% of MMA fighters' careers. The mental fortitude behind this man, um, the spinning wheel kick that he hit Yusuf with in the third round. I scored it a 10-8. Not mad at if anyone that scored it a 10-9. Um, not every 10-8 looks exactly the same. There is definitely strict criteria for it. But it's just the same way not every 10-9 round looks the same. Some 10-9s are this close. Some are this close. Some are this close. 10-8s can be the same way. Um, as per the unified scoring criteria, um, I think he also might have broke Yusuf a little bit mentally, where Yusuf's like, dude, I, I hit this guy in the head with a hammer a million times, and he didn't die. And he, he's coming at me face tattered, bloody, eyes all swollen, uh, eyes halfway swollen shut. He's punching me to the body, kicking me to the body. I can't hurt this guy anymore. Oh, shit, he hit me with a spinning wheel kick now. Yeah, Yusuf doing the chicken dance. Uh, someone needs to put together uh, a video, a gif of everyone Barbosa's made do the chicken dance and then put the chicken dance polka music. That, no, 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 that'd be great. 
Um, someone on Twitter, if you're listening to this, please do that or tag me in it. That's my handle right there, wherever it is. Um, find me there and, and please tag me in it because that will be funny. I will laugh at that. And then he starts wrestling and getting takedowns in the fifth round, Barbosa. And he's just like, he hurt you. And the dude's tired, and I, I get it, but he hurt Yusuf with that spinning wheel kick. And he's like trying to jump on an anaconda. And it's like, no, just grab his one arm and punch him behind the ear like a good three to five times. And you probably got this fight finished. Didn't change the result. Right guy won. Some people were scoring this fight a draw. Um, uh, for me, clearly, based on this, the way I see the scoring criteria and my personal interpretation of it, I don't see another. I don't see a way you could really score any other. So round two could be close, um, but I just don't see how you could score it, it any other way. Um, and this was heroic. This was. I mean, this is a guy that lives fighting. I thought he might retire after this, but no, he's re- he's. <laughs> It's in Barbosa. He's just watching this fight. My my fiance and I, her and I were about to go out last Saturday evening, and I was like, "Hey, let's just leave whenever the fight's over." And she's like, "Okay, cool. I live on the west. I, I'm on Pacific time, west side, so it, it wasn't late for me." Two minutes into the first round, I'm like, "Start getting ready. This fight's about to be over." Nope. Barbosa just hung tough, kept pushing, got his boxing going, got his body kicks going. He didn't win this fight with with really any leg kicks at all, which is kind of surprising, but he didn't need to. He really relied on his boxing and his body kick and that one spinning wheel kick and everything else. He just had the, he just did the better work with his boxing. He got on the front foot. He was not deterred. 99.9% of the human population would have been deterred, would have quit on the stool, would have been done, would have checked themselves out. Not Edson Barbosa. Um, it's a dangerous guy, man. Um, even if you look at his fights with like Giga Chikadze, like Giga Giga had to go to had to go to war before he got his finish against him. Um, there are not many people that have had harder UFC careers than someone like Edson Barbosa. I mean, he he has a that's not a champion. You know, champions, once you once you grab that belt, even if you lose it. We're going to talk about an ex-champion that's fighting a crazy contender. You know, guys like RDA. RDA's fought killers, but he held the belt. Barbosa's fought a very similar level of talent in multiple weight classes. Never held the belt. Um, Yusuf did post on his social media today. He's in an arm cast, so who knows what happened. He didn't make any excuses. Cleanly lost the fight. Big step back for him, too. Um... I'm not too sure what Yusuf should do next. I think he needs to take a chill pill. He's had, you know, opportunities against Arnold Allen, lost opportunities here against Barbosa, lost. And really his only knockouts, like his best win is like Gabriel Benitez, not his best win, but his like, you know, best knockout wins, probably Gabriel Benitez. And he got hurt in that fight. So I think this is a little bit telling of where um, Yusuf is in his career. And, you know, maybe as high as he's good enough to improve coming from the camp. He's from, I don't know if he's going to make him there. Uh, he just needs to 
to chill. He needs to fight pretty far back in the rankings at this point. Not pretty far back, but like give him someone in the top 20, even someone out of the top 15 when he comes back. His arm's broken from what it looks like, so it's going to be a while before we see him fight again. And he was already on the bench for a while. Um, Barbosa, on the other hand, it's too bad. It's too bad the Korean zombie fight. I, I love Max Holloway, probably top five favorite fighters. Um, and I like Korean zombie and, and what the fight seemed very honorable between them. But it's a shame it wasn't Korean zombie versus Edson Barbosa. Because that would have been, you know, just violent, two old dudes, guys that have been around forever, guys that, you know, probably always wanted to fight each other. Um, but since that's not the case, I think we could see Barbosa fight someone like Josh Emmett, maybe uh, some sort of apex main card, main event. I'm cool with that. Um, Barbosa is just a man. <laughs> we need to give him his flowers, sing his prayer, sing his prayers. Dominic Cruz called him a Hall of Famer during the fight. And I was like, I never thought about that, but he's a Hall of Famer in my eyes after that performance. Just cojones, balls. Edson Barbosa's a G. You guys tell me who you think he should fight next. Um that's it for this segment, guys. We're going to go ahead and move on to in with the new. And I will catch you guys here in just a few. Moving on to the final segment of the show, in with the new, I brought a special guest. I'm going to call him a tag team partner of mine. Him and I have done a couple of things together. You guys might have seen some of his stuff. I, I think he works for SureDog. Not too sure. We got Ben Duffy. How are you, Ben? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. You've subbed on enough of my shows that it was the least I could do to return the favor. I appreciate it. I This is very last minute that Ben's coming on if you guys are listening to this. Uh, so shout out to Ben. Thank you so much, man. I was looking over my notes, getting ready to do the show, and I was like, you know what? I can't do this alone. This card is too damn good. There is too many high stakes, and there is, with all the crazy matchups and all the, I mean, who shuffles the deck better than the UFC. But with all the crazy stuff going on, I had to bring someone on. Um, so thanks again, man. First fight of the card that we're going to talk to you guys about, we picked three. We have Magomed Ankalaev versus Johnny Walker. Magomed Ankalaev is a pretty heavy favorite. He's coming in at minus 340, and Johnny Walker comes back at plus 270. Mr. Ben Duffy. You probably just talked about this fight less than 48 hours ago. Um, what do you think of the UFC matchmaking here? Do you think this is a smart fight? Do you think this has title implications? It has definite title implications. Ankalaev fought for a title in his last fight, went to a draw that most observers thought he won. This absolutely has title implications. By all rights, he should be in his first title defense right now. Obviously, we can't say with any certainty that this is going to be a title eliminator, considering that next month we have the return of uh, Yuri Prohaska against Alex Pereira. Jamal Hill is still out there somewhere recuperating. So there's no guarantee that this is an actual title eliminator, but it absolutely has bearing on the equation. Ankalaev, if he wins this, 
he would be justified in kind of folding his arms and going, hey, look, I've paid my dues. I, I, I need to wait and get my, my title shot. I ask that um, because in his last fight, he, however you scored it, it, it was draw, the, the draw via, with Jan Blachowicz, Um Very close fight. A lot of people thought he won. People scored it as a draw, however. But he said that he's never fighting in the, U- the USA again. Um, he's got dictators sending private messages to Dana White saying, fix this. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm curious on, I mean, I don't know what kind of good graces the UFC or he is in with the UFC. If he just goes out there and, and melts Johnny Walker, I think that definitely is going to leave him with the case. If you go to the UFC.com right now, um, Jamal Hill he relinquished the title, but he's still the champ on their website. So maybe he got word, someone got word that his injury is healing up faster. I don't know anything about that. Um, light heavyweight just all of a sudden got like packed with fun title challengers. Well, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> Prohaska versus Pereira is currently billed as a light heavyweight title fight and not an interim one. So it may just be a case of the UFC not having updated its website. It's some, the promotion is sometimes slow at, at correcting things on its own website. So that may be what it is. And I don't know if he, I don't know if he, if Jamal Hill still, I mean, he probably considers himself the champion. He's probably going to consider himself the champion, even if someone has that belt wrapped around their waist. I'm curious to see what the UFC does um, with this fight. If Johnny Walker goes out there and melts Magomed Ankalaev in some crazy Johnny Walker way, you can almost be sure Johnny Walker's fighting for a title just because the winner of Yuri Prohaska and Alex Pajeda is, you know, the winner of. Yuri Prohaska and Alex Pajera, something crazy is probably going to happen in that fight. Um, this fight here, it's really hard for me to see a path to victory for Johnny Walker, quite frankly. I think this might be like one of the worst fights in the division for him. I would tend to agree. Normally, if you show me Johnny Walker at plus 270, I'm not much of a better, but my instant thought is, a guy with that many weapons, there's always a chance. Having said that, Ankalaev is maybe the person in the entire division who leaves the least to chance. Uh, considering that one of the enduring memories of Ankalaev's UFC run so far is the buzzer-beating submission loss to Paul Craig in a fight in which he had won literally the first 14 minutes and 59 seconds. But that is very much an outlier. And that may be down to... Paul Craig just being Paul fucking Craig more than any flaws on Uncle Iowa's part, because for the most part, he is as conservative a tactician as there is in that division. He has the athleticism and the power and the physical tools and the offensive skill set to be far more dynamic and more of a finisher than he is. But his approach tends to be, it tends to be oriented towards preventing bad things from happening to him first and then doing bad things to the other guy. You look at his highlight reel, the guy has, if not back-to-back, two head kick knockouts within a three-fight span. Um, He has some spectacular finishes. 
he made hamburger out of Anthony Smith. Uh, he knocked Iwan Kudalaba out twice, regardless of what, what Kudalaba says. But then at the same time, he is perfectly happy to grind out dreadful looking wins over Vulcan Uzdemir and Tiago Santos. And it's just down to him deciding where his opponent's greatest threat lies and going to neutralize it. He knows that the one thing that Vulcan Uzdemir still did at a top 10 level in 2021 was punch really, really hard. So he just crowded him and smashed him into the cage for 15 minutes. He realized that Tiago Santos, even on bum wheels, is still one of the hardest kickers in uh, the division and kicks to all levels. So he crowded the kicker, took that away from him and could apparently not give a shit less whether the crowd was entertained or not. That is absolutely not the kind of person you want to trust Johnny Walker to beat because as overwhelming as Walker is in terms of his physical gifts and obviously his size, when he uh, takes on another fighter that's comparably skilled, they have to make a pretty bad mistake for him to beat him. I, I go back to the Corey Anderson fight because Johnny Walker came into the UFC out of the contender series, just blowing through people. We'd never seen anything like this. He was, I still think he is the biggest light heavyweight on the planet. I don't know who's taller between like him and Spawn and Kennedy Zechukwu or who has the biggest wingspan, but those three guys, when they walk into the cage on fight night, I think Walker's the heaviest and he's close enough in height to make no difference. I think Johnny Walker is the biggest light heavyweight on the planet. And I think he's the biggest light heavyweight that's ever fought in the UFC. He's huge. Yeah, he's absolutely titanic. And on top of that, he's very dynamic and fast. Like, you would expect him to be kind of plodding. We're talking about a guy that's effectively the same size as big heavyweights. But he, yeah. the way he moves. But not to go too far down that path, all of that... Uh, you know, it led to a certain amount of hype, especially when you consider his exuberant personality, the just full on, you know, the Brazilian dancing down the ramp thing. And Corey Anderson showed, well, you know what? If you're not flustered by all the smoke and mirrors and you know how to take care of yourself on the feet, you can weather that storm and just punch him straight in the face because he has such huge defensive lapses. And that's laid the groundwork ever since. Walker's always dangerous, but... Fighters who are composed and skilled don't have to be afraid of getting caught in the path of the hurricane. And Ankalaev is the perfect example of that. Ankalaev is just, he's a responsible fighter at 205, and you just don't get that often. <laughs> um, even a guy that is, you know, you know, Corey Anderson is not a known puncher, and he's also not a guy that's ever really been able to rely on his durability. Like, we've seen him get, you know, deaded before, and he's been deaded in the same ways that Johnny Walker has been deaded. And he was... When it comes to Johnny Walker, I still feel like a guy that if you just want to go out there and punch him really, really hard, you're going to do it successfully. Like, the overhand... The overhand that Jamal Hill set up on him. It was clean. It was tactful. And Jamal Hill is definitely, you know, we talk about him physically and the way he he reads as a guy. He's definitely more athletic than he reads. But Ankalaev is faster and probably better than Jamal Hill in mm -hmm. every aspect of MMA. Only thing that he's just not as violent as Jamal Hill. Um, 
I just don't see. I don't see Magomed and Galav dying on a single leg and getting back fist the way that Paul Craig got knocked out. I don't see even today, like the, the Khalil Roundtree fight is probably Johnny Walker's like most impressive performance, in my opinion, where you could, I mean, it sounded like it sounded, have you ever heard someone crack a coconut? Oh yeah. Like that's what it sounded like when he was hitting Khalil Roundtree with those elbows in the clinch. But like, if he fought Khalil Roundtree again, like Khalil Roundtree could just go out there and punch him really hard. Um, I think Johnny Walker is, he's changed his game. His fight with Anthony, Anthony Smith shown that he, he can stay composed. He can be relaxed. But then if you look at Anthony Smith, like Anthony Smith seems to be on a very significant decline and someone like Magomed and Goliath got Anthony Smith out of there, finished him, injured him and hurt him. If Anthony Smith and Magomed Ankalaev were matched up in this fight, I think Magomed Ankalaev would finish him violently. Um, I just... Magomed is a great kicker. He has great head kicks. He has good boxing. He can wrestle. He's defensively sound. He takes risks when he's supposed to. Like, look what he did against someone like Ian Kutalaba. His idea was, oh, you're going to be violent and crazy? Cool. I'll just meet you with it and be more responsible and hurt you. Why doesn't he just take the same approach to Johnny Walker? And that's a uh, fair, that's actually a fair analog because Walker is similar in broad strokes to, to Kudalaba. Like he's a little bit bigger, but Kudalaba is another guy who's big, powerful, explosive, seems to go in without much of a game plan most of the time and just tries to create chaos and hope he comes out on top of it. That's very much the Johnny Walker approach and it did not work on Ankoliev at all. And Johnny Walker's not Jan Blahovich. Are yep. you going to play a, a tit-for-tat poking game with kicks against? Like, well, if if he would, that opens... I mean, it's a whole different fight if Johnny Walker walks out and starts kicking uh, the hell out of Ankoliev's lead leg. Yeah. Ankoliev did not respond well to Blahovich kicking his legs. It took him way too long to go to his plan B in that fight. He it took him way too long to realize he was losing. But again, Jan Blahovich is, you know, I put him next to Jonathan Martinez as far as like kicking and a better kick checker. Jan Blahovich might be with one of the best kickers in MMA. Um, and I don't know if Johnny Walker is on the level, but I just think Ankalaev can just say, hey, let me make this a war. I'm more durable and I'm more responsible and I can hit just as hard. I see him probably finishing if he wants to, he can knock Johnny Walker out in the first round. Mm -hmm. I think if he should. Um, I under one point five is probably a smart bet on a fight like this. You get it at a plus number, Both? I bet. I mean, maybe both these guys have gone long recently even in one-sided fights. I mean, Uncle Ive took longer than that to finish Anthony Smith. He went the distance three fights in a row before that. And again, the, his fights with Krylov, Uzdemir, and Santos, he recognized fighters who were limited compared to him, but had one or two big offensive weapons, and he decided to take the conservative approach. I could see him doing that with Walker. I can see him looking at Walker and saying, yeah, I could knock him out in the first round, but that opens up a 5% chance that I get caught with something silly. Why don't I just grind on him in the clinch, wear him out, and if he's tired at the beginning of the third round, then I turn up the Jets. 
and just punch him hard. Yeah. I like Magomed by a finish here. Um, and I think he, all routes kind of lead him to it where he, he can, you know, make this fight a slow bleed, get him tired and then hurt him. Or he can just force, if he forces a brawl, he could just win the first exchange. <laughs> just I just, I've never, I was high on Johnny Walker in the beginning. And as you can tell, I'm just like not high on him. I still think there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors to his game. I just, you know, I'm not going to call it a facade, but like how long does this non-technical weird MMA game take him? I don't know how far it's going to take him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's won three in a row in, in this division. And while I agree with you that Ankalaev could win uh, you know, a first round firefight and put Walker away early. That opens up Walker's best route to victory if he if he chooses to go that route. I can't imagine that Goliath doing that. Too technical, too smart. You're probably right. I'm hoping for a first round finish. Um, sounds like we're both on Ankalaev here. Sure. Um, this fight should be fun though. Let's let's hope for violence. Um, a lot of violence on the undercard here, but let's hope this one's violent. It is 205, so you never know what you're gonna get. Moving on to a fight that has seems like is getting a little bit more attention from the fans than even the main event. This fight is getting tons of eyeballs, tons of hypes behind this fight, tons of hypes behind one of these guys. We got Hamza Chemaev versus Kamara Usman. Hamza Chemaev coming in at right now. I've got him at plus two or minus two fifty eight. Usman coming back at plus two thirty five. Um, there's a lot of this fight. The way this fight was booked was just weird. Paulo Costa's. Did he really ever want this fight, Ben? I'm sure he wanted it. Uh, he he is at a point in his career where I think he probably realizes that he needs to make paychecks and he has a limited window of time in which to do so. For as much of a kind of goofy facade as as he puts on, he's been fairly savvy for a, a lot of his career. I think he wanted this fight. Uh, I think he made some poor choices, kind of drawing attention to his staff infection. I mean, better for us. The the fight and the card are upgraded by his absence. But yeah, he, he blew up his own spot last week. Just this, I just got surgery. I have staph infection, but I'm still fighting. Here's a picture of me in the hospital bed. I just couldn't wrap my yep. head around it. Sure, sure dog exclusive. Uh, last, last Monday, actually. Yeah, on the 9th, Monday the 9th, he, that story went up. Everybody went, oh, he's not fighting. And sure enough, uh, less than 48 hours later, it was Usman versus Shemaev. This is the fight that we should have, like... This is what should have just happened. Usman moving up to 185 to fight Hamzat Shmaev on this short of notice is very brave, and it's a very honorable thing to do, especially on the streak that he's on right now. You know, having a, a good fight and then losing violently at the end of the fifth round and then coming back and, and looking like 10 years older in his next fight, um, not at elevation against Leon Edwards. And then you have Hamza, who's been out for a really long time, 
Um, not a ton of cage time in comparison to Kamara Usman. Way, I mean, you, you put their fight times next to each other, and <laughs> the average fight time difference between both of these guys is, I mean, huge. Yeah. I think this is a tough fight for Usman. If we didn't see the second Leon Edwards fight, I'd feel a little bit different. Um, I want to kick it over to you because I want to hear your analysis on this. I'm going to let you go first, but kind of leaning pretty heavy one way. I probably, I'm probably leaning heavy the same way you are. Uh, I said on my preview show yesterday, if this fight had been booked, even after Usman's first loss to Edwards, right after Shemaev uh, blew weight and destroyed uh, Kevin Holland, even if you'd booked it right then with Usman coming off a loss and Shemaev coming off another dominant win, I might have favored Usman in this fight. The whole difference is seeing how he looked in the second Edwards fight. Because I do agree with you. He, uh, he was still competitive. Edwards won a majority decision. One uh, of the official judges scored it a draw. If you go look at MMA decisions, one or two people actually scored it for Usman. Uh, a few more scored it a draw. For what it's worth, I thought Edwards won the fight, but worth noting that round by round, it was competitive enough that there was that kind of uh, spectrum of difference of opinion. But he looked, he did, he looked slower. The volume that had once defined his striking game was gone. And yeah, that that makes me more concerned about a fight with Shemaev. Shemaev has obviously blown through everybody that's been put in front of him except for Gilbert Burns. But because of that, we haven't really seen him pushed. We haven't seen what it looks like when his first and his second takedown attempts are <clears throat> turned aside. We've had rare fleeting chances to see what it's like when somebody isn't just freaked out by his speed and power on the feet and actually plants and defends themselves properly and, and comes back at him. Usman, at his best, offered the opportunity to see all of those things. The Kamaru Usman of even just 18 months ago, I don't know if Shemaev is able to, to effortlessly bring him down. I don't know if Shemaev could stop Usman from taking him down. Uh, the Shemaev or the Usman of 18 or 24 months ago, I think probably busts up Shemaev's, Shemaev's face badly with his jab within the first round of the fight. Uh, unfortunately, you have to question Usman's durability at this point. Uh, he Obviously, he was knocked cold by Edwards. He was hurt badly by Colby Covington a couple of times. And he was, I mean, he was, he was hurt by Gilbert Burns to the point where it looked like we might have a chain, shocking change of title in the first round of their fight. And there we're going back two and a half years. But Covington, who the one real flaw you can poke at, at Colby in Colby Covington is that he's not a hard hitter. Just, you know, he's not, he's not big. He doesn't swing hard. And even he was able to hurt Usman, then Edwards cleaned his clock. So now when Shemaev lands stuff on Usman, I'm concerned that Usman's not going to be able to recuperate. So yeah, this is 
an incredible fight, and it's still a better fight than Shamaya versus Costa. But it's not what it could have been even just a little over a year ago. And that's a shame, but it's still something that is going to teach us a lot about both guys. Win or lose, I think Usman's best future lies at 185 pounds. I was disappointed to see the quotes from them this week that he plans to go back down to welterweight and try to retire as a two-division champ. Hopefully, that's just promo talk, uh, and he's more realistic than that. I think his best uh, future lays at 185 pounds because I was talking to Keith about this. There are a ton of top 10 185-pounders that I would favor Kamaru Usman against right now, even in the state he's in. Like sure, and there's guys like there's guys like Roman Delize that are just huge that I think would give Usman problems. Um, remember when Usman was talking about when he did the standoff with Jan Blachowicz and he was talking about going into it? Thank God he never did that. So I feel like Jan Blachowicz would have killed him. Um, Jan but, would have, uh, but that's at two hundred five, not at eighty five. Um, and again, I mean. Check the kick is the Jan Blachowicz praise show. I think Jan Blachowicz is a guy that has been severely underrated for a very long time. Um, but for Usman, he, again, you know, you're, you, you nailed it. How many times did Colby is not a known puncher and he froze and hurt Usman so many times in their fights through both fights hurt Usman a lot of times, honestly, he didn't get dropped and and we know that he ended up finishing Colby and dropped Colby and hurt him. But like who got hurt more times? Like I watched those fights recently and like Usman's defensive striking was not good there. No. Like he got touched a lot by Colby and, and Colby's a high volume guy that, you know, will, will, will throw things together. will mix up his striking and he, and he will really get on it. That's his thing. Um, but then you look at the Gilbert Burns fight. Gilbert, I watched that fight just recently, just the other night prepping for this, and Gilbert almost finished Usman. Yep. Almost finished him in the first round, hurt him. And Gilbert is a big puncher. He He's is. a guy that has very slept on power. Gilbert's a big, big puncher, one of the biggest punchers probably at 170. Um, I don't think Usman's ever faced a bigger puncher than Hamza Chemaev. Look what he did to Gerald Mershart. Just one, just one punched him dead. I mean, um, I, 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 my guess would be, yeah, that you're right. Tyron Woodley. Woodley's a Woodley was a big puncher. Gilbert Woodley Burns was a, is a big. Woodley was a big puncher, but there's a difference in size, and also, Shemaev has the ability to deliver his power through a lot of different weapons. Woodley had a huge right cross, and that was it. And Hamzat throws his, like, Hamzat actually throws really straight punches. Yeah, he um, throws straight punches. He can kick. He uh, he can knee. Uppercut. Yeah, so. The uppercut against Ikram Alaskirov, who's unfortunately fighting Worley Alves on this card. I mean, how sidebar, how pissed would you be if you were Ikram Alaskirov? If you look at these two late notice fights that got made, and then you get stuck with freaking Worley Alves on like a three fight losing streak and you're a five. Like these guys don't want to fight fights like this. Ikram did not come to the UFC to fight these types of fights. Um, for for Hamzat, I don't think Usman's ever fought someone that's been a true better athlete than him either. And Hamzat is a better athlete than him. 
Um, he's much faster. His Hamzat's entries, his entries, his takedown entries are just lightning fast. The way that Leon Edwards took down Usman in the first round of their first fight, he had back control and like let that if that round have you watched that fight recently? Yeah. The first like there was room for like someone else on his back in that position, like Hamza in on his back in that position, that wouldn't have been pretty for him. The way that Leon Edwards kind of got that inside trip takedown with the double underhooks, I watched Hamzat's wrestling match with Jack Hermanson earlier today on my lunch break. Sure. And like, that is something he goes to. Hamza has so much different, just so many different takedowns. Usman's knees are shot to hell. I could see, even if Usman defends two or three takedowns, will Hamza be deterred? I watched Hamza go to war with Gilbert Burns and not be deterred at all. And the reason why he didn't impose more grappling, in my opinion, in that fight was just due to Gilbert Burns's ace on the hole with his BJJ accolades. Kamaru Usman doesn't have that. Nope. I, I'm just, I just think Usman's really up against it. Being up a division should help him with his durability. If he, if if we are concerned about his durability, being up a division is going to help him. But the way he looked in that second fight, like hit what. Usman was able to do to someone like RDA, just like muscle him around, muscle out of stuff. He's not going to be able to hold Hamzad against the cage and control him and punch him to the body and then hit him with shots over the top. He's, I just see that, I just think he's going to be stranded on an island here. Like, I don't know. He has a good jab. Uh, he has, I mean, short list of the best jabs in, in the sport. Uh, he also, even though Shamayev is likely to be a little bit bigger and obviously is freakishly strong, uh, Usman's cage, like clinch wrestling against the cage, is a, on a whole other level even than his uh, wrestling like in space in the middle of uh, in the middle of the cage. We may find that he can stick Shamayev to the chain link, and that Shamayev has a tough time getting him off him there, and like let alone going for serious offense or takedowns of his own that like he just has his hands full dealing with uh Usman uh just shoving him into the cage and and mugging him there so that's one place where Usman might find some advantage or might find some respite if he tries that and the first time he does Shamayev spins him into the fence knees him in the gut and shucks him off then we know okay maybe that's not a well he can go till but i expect he's going to try because that's kind of mission control for the kamara usman offense for the last you know almost 10 years now mitigate damage control i just i think this is going to be the first person that we're going to see that has the speed and athleticism and the skills to just out scramble usman not many people have been able to outscramble Usman. Colby got a takedown. Um, Leon Edwards' takedown, I think it was unexpected, but it was also very nifty and very tricky. Yeah. And, I mean, Hamzat's just got a bag of tricks. He's not Bo Nickel. No. But no. he's... Um, if Bo Nickel's the best wrestler in the division, Hamzat Chemaev is definitely the second one. And it's just going to be... Tough going for Usman here. Um, I'm on. I'm on Al Hamza. I, I think he. 
I think he probably finishes him here. I, would... I think. I think this fight's gonna play out on the feet, and I just think Hamzat is probably just gonna hurt him with a one-two. Something simple. I think that's as likely an outcome as any. I could see it ending on the ground, but I agree it's probably only going to go to the ground when Shamayev wants it there. Well, we're both on Hamzat. Uh, shout out to Usman for stepping up on such short notice. I feel like he probably knew about this a little bit sooner than we did. Um, but I mean, what, three more days? Um, big, big move for him. Um, big risk. And uh, speaking of risks, we have probably the best fighter in the sport right now taking the uh, another giant risk. Uh, Islam Mahashev is defending his 155-pound title against, against the another best in the sport. Yeah, <laughs> and another short note. I mean, this these short notice replacement fights for Islam are just nuts. Um, and Volkanovski, man. Um, it's a little Tasmanian devil, isn't he? <laughs> he's uh, about the closest thing the UFC has to it. Yeah. He's he's just the shit. I'm not even a, a big fan of his, but he's forced me to be a fan just due to his true badassery. Um, odds on this fight. He's a plus 200 underdog. Islam's coming back. Minus 250 favorite. Minus 245 favorite. Uh, odds... In their last fight, I believe Islam was around like minus three twenty, I think. So I, I, I mean, the odds makers are seeing that that Volk has still a chance to win this fight. Because I haven't listened to winning the first fight. I haven't listened to your breakdown on this yet. Um, I'm truly all over the place here. I kind of don't know what fight to expect. It, the way that their last fight played out, it, it was almost like. Yeah, Islam had a lot of success with his grappling. He had a lot of success with the back control. But he could have almost just had a five-round striking match with Volk and maybe almost one cleaner. Maybe if he didn't wrestle, he wouldn't have been tired. It's possible, but... I think Makachev's cardio is always going to top out as good and probably never be great. There's just a, and, and I think that'll be the case, whether he's uh, wrestling or striking the, uh, the fighters that have truly legendary cardio cardio that they can weaponize cardio where they're the fresher fighter, whether they're winning or losing uh, obviously Part of it is having a manageable weight cut. Part of it is, but like a lot of it is, it's not the size of the gas tank. It's how hard you step on the pedal. There's just a certain uh, economy of motion. There's a certain relaxation that comes from being in familiar situations. Uh, and honestly, his mentor slash de facto older brother, Khabib, was the master of this, uh, where yeah, Khabib usually got the takedown on his first try, or if not then, then certainly his second try but even as they're working through the takedown situation his opponent's getting tired faster than he is because there are plenty of great wrestlers in mma that can take down anybody on any 
you know, in any given exchange, but there, some of those guys get tired before their opponent does because they're expending more energy working for the takedown than their opponent is uh, defending it. Makachev, whether he's on his feet or on the ground, his cardio is good, and he definitely has three, four, five-round cardio when he is dictating the pace. Your cardio looks a lot better when nobody's making you move when you don't want to. Uh, I always go back to the ultimate example. Everyone used to always shit on BJ Penn's cardio. His kind of weird, lax training methods. The fact that when he lost, it was usually a fighter coming back and beating him when he looked tired. But Penn always had plenty of cardio when he was winning. It's when people put it on sure. him that, that he started flagging. Like when, when Jens Pulver wouldn't go away, when Matt Hughes wouldn't go away that's when Penn started to look tired uh that's just a long way around to saying that I think Volkanovsky is always going to make Makachev tired whether it's all on the feet or on the ground because on the ground yeah Makachev had success he got Volkanovsky down multiple times Volkanovsky knew it he said it in the lead up to the first fight yeah he's going to take me down his cardio better be on point because I'm going to get back up and for the most part he did over and over again the fourth round was really the only one where I felt Volkanovsky conceded a disadvantageous position for too long. But even with Makachev, quote, winning the majority of the wrestling against Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky was like relaxed and grinning, fighting off the hands while Makachev was kind of straining. Like, if somebody's, Eyes got, wide you open. In, yeah, if somebody's <laughs> got you in back mount with a body triangle on and they're working harder than you are, like that that's a, that's a, a question of efficiency. And then on the feet, Considering the, how short Volkanovski is, I mean, he's one of the shortest featherweights in the division, and he looked ridiculously stumpy next to Makachev. Volkanovski is incredible at making his opponent fight off the back foot. He has just, I think he has some of the best footwork in MMA. Keith thinks he has the best footwork in MMA. Uh, Keith, as you know, the guy with more boxing experience, I defer to him on that, but he's certainly in the team photo for it. And... Yeah, Volkanovski is just a master at making taller fighters back off him, and it's much more tired, tiring to fight off your back foot, even if, you know, you're a good striker who has plenty of experience at it. I mean, if you're watching this podcast and you want to know what I mean, try walking 100 feet forward and then try walking 100 feet backward and tell me which one has you more tired. Uh, and then think of doing both with somebody trying to punch you. So, yeah, if Makachev wants to make this, okay, I'm going to forget the wrestling or not forget the wrestling. That would be silly, but like use the wrestling to set up the striking, use the threat of the takedown to keep Volkanovsky honest, but conduct this thing on the feet. I don't think that's a smart move on his part. One Volkanovsky hits harder as a single, like if, if one of these guys is going to finish the other with a single strike, it's more likely Volkanovsky and Makachev winning. He won several rounds in their first fight with he dropped and hurt Volk. He did. Multiple times. And he did. definitely caused him to reset, caused him to take a knee. Kind of similar to the way that uh, Max Holloway hurt Volk, but maybe yeah. even more so, like in their second fight. Um, what's really cool about Volk, too, is he's not he's not bulletproof. No. He doesn't have, like, Max Holloway-type durability or John Jones durability. Um, but his technical prowess, like, what he does, like, he is just... He's just fucking good. Like I, he just does things right. I think he is the the at worst, 
he is the second most technically perfect fighter in MMA history after Demetrius Johnson. Like, point me to totally. something Alexander Volkanovsky does badly. That, that, and when it comes to people that are like the greatest ever, you know, everyone's going to have their own opinion and every, but when it comes to like technically being good at MMA, like good at everything, proficient and everything, can be successful with everything, um, that's Volkanovsky. When you compare him to someone like Islam's predecessor, like Habib, um, I will die on the hill saying Habib is the most dominant fighter to ever grace MMA as far as damage given versus damage accrued. Like, no one even made this dude bleed. Um, that's not Volk's game. Um, she just doesn't have the same set of skills. And, I mean, yeah. or Habib also had a game where he he was so offensively proficient that you didn't have room for defense. Volk plays a much riskier game than Habib did. Um, and for this is, he plays a brave game too. Like he's a short guy. He does have longer arms. He probably has the arm length of a dude. That's probably like five ten, like the average five foot 10 UFC fighter. That's maybe up a weight class, but when it comes to strength, even Islam was like, this dude's strong. For Islam to say someone is physically strong, and if you know the dudes that Islam Mahashev surrounds himself with in a training atmosphere, if Islam's going to call you strong, you're probably real strong. And I think that's something that gets a little bit slept on when it comes to Volk and his game. Um, he seems like a dude that's as strong as the average welterweight. Oh, he look at the way he finishes takedowns strong. at featherweight. Like, like, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Look at the way he finishes takedowns, at least at, at featherweight, where he it's the Michael Chandler thing where it's like, yeah, I have good technique. I know how to turn the corner, but I've got your one leg here. You're sprawling. I'm just going to high crotch you and throw you over my shoulder anyway. Uh, no, like I agree that because he's short in stature, some people might underestimate his strength. But God, have you looked at the guy and. Have you seen pictures of him from when he played Australian rules football? He weighed 200 pounds and it wasn't fat. Like he is a, he's a fucking ox. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you're, that you bring up other ways Makachev might approach this second fight, because that was a big part of what Keith and I discussed on the preview. When you have a rematch of a contest that took place fairly recently, I mean, it was Makachev's last fight. It was Volkanovsky's second to last fight. It's real fresh in everybody's mind what happened in the first fight, and both fighters have whatever their list is to take back to the drawing board from that first fight. Like, here are the things that surprised me. Here are the things that I could have done better. Here were any mistakes I made. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether Makachev, who up until 10 days out was preparing for a very, very different opponent, like almost the polar opposite, a long, gangly guy who's a kicker and long puncher on the feet and a submission grappler par excellence on the ground to Volkanovsky, who's almost the opposite. Uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if Bakachev just goes, well, what worked the first time worked, you know, it'll work this time. Just keep your hands up in the fifth round. Uh, whereas Volkanovsky, obviously, it didn't go his way the first time. What adjustments or changes you know, does he need to make? 
I'm, I'm interested to see if uh, Makachev ap- approaches this fight differently than he did the first one. I think the MMA community, the Twitter space and everything definitely made... This fight was a close fight. Um, but I think the MMA community and unfortunately the way that a lot of the MMA community feels about like Dagestan fighters and, you know, the name that they have, they, they get a lot of, they get a lot of shade. Um, and Volk, Volk, you know, moving up a weight class, he's definitely the hero, you know, he, he's the hero in this fight. He's the Rocky Islam's the, the Drago in, in a fight like this, but watching this, watching their first fight, I was so surprised where we're like, Oh my God, Islam's outstriking Volk and a lot of these strikings. Oh, he's hurting Volk. And look at Volk. Volk is getting hip tosses. Volk is getting takedowns. It, so they, they both had success where they were supposed to lose, um, yeah. which was just super interesting. So I'm very curious to see how this fight goes, um, especially the way Islam looked towards the end of that fight where he, you know, he looked like he saw a ghost. He was gasping for air um, and he, he, he was praying to make it out knowing he was probably, you know, up on the cards. As for Volk, Volk was definitely going for it, looking for a finish. Volk has come out, and I don't like the things that Volk is actually saying this week ahead of this fight, and I typically don't try to read into that, but he made a video saying, um, 11 days, I'm off the couch. What are you going to do about it? And a guy like Volk, he's not Apollo Costa. He's not a guy that's going to put something out there to make himself look good, to have a built-in excuse, but I just don't like when fighters at this level say stuff like that like you know i don't want to say he's counting himself out but he's you know saying the odds are against me and, and you know numerically they clearly are the betters do think that the odds are um against him i have a weird feeling and last time i picked islam but i have a feeling volk might break the over 35 year old 170 and under curse I just got a weird feeling, man. I don't even the, the, I don't even know the X's and O's because I don't know what's going to happen because they both had so much success with um, you know, each of their dominant styles. I just got a feeling that like in the 3rd and 4th rounds, like Volk might hurt this dude. Here's here's something to to think about here. You would never say it, like, meaning a fighter. Like, the fighter would never say it. But you just mentioned fourth and fifth rounds. Up until a couple days ago, Islam Akashev was not planning on having to fight a fourth or fifth round. He was taking on a guy that, win or lose, had only been into the third round, or, like, had only been past, like, the one-minute mark of the third round, like, once in his last 15 fights. The last time he fought... I think that was getting finished by Paul Felder. Uh, no, it was him like turning, uh, it, it was him folding Tony Ferguson's laundry with Tony still in it. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. It was, um, the last time he fought Oliveira, he destroyed him in two rounds. Obviously he's, he's well prepared. He's had a full camp for this fight. He was, he wasn't taking Charles Oliveira lightly in terms of the threat that Oliveira uh, poses, but you would prepare differently for a fight if it's Charles Oliveira, who 
tends to live or die by the sword within the first nine minutes of a fight, or Alex Volkanovsky, who is going to take you on a trip through hell for 25 minutes and trust himself to come out on top. Couch or not, Volkanovsky may be better prepared for the last rounds of this fight than Makachev is. I think some people too, I hate to use this term built different, but some people cardiovascularly are just built different. You've got certain guys that can just, there are, you know, people that can go and run a hundred miles and be fine. And there are people that would look similarly in shape to those, you know, hook them up to a machine and they might, you know, be giving you the same clean bill of health, but the other dude might only be able to run 20 and he's done. Mm -hmm. Um, Volk. Another thing too is I don't know if Islam is going to be one of the greatest fighters of all time. Volk is already one of the greatest fighters of all time. And shit like that, like he's an anomaly. Like stuff like that matters. From what I saw in Islam's last fight against Volk, I don't think Islam will ever be better than Habib. He took more damage in one. He took more damage in one round than Habib did in his whole career. If this was Habib fighting Volk on short notice, if Habib got into a lot of those positions that Islam got Volk into, he'd have probably finished him. But Islam's not Habib. No, I don't think he's. I don't think he's the same type of violent punisher either. I don't think he's got the same tenacity. I would tend to agree with you. Uh... Obviously, the comparisons are inevitable just because they're close friends, longtime sure. training partners, mentor-mentee relationship. But uh, And their skill set and their physical tools are similar in broad strokes. But to Makashev's credit, he is uh, he's a more diverse and technically sound striker than Habib ever was already. 100%. But I agree that Khabib is physically bigger and stronger. Like uh, I've not been to a session at AKA, but I imagine that Khabib gets the better. Well, now now he gets the better of the wrestling because he's 200 pounds. But e even when they were both active, probably got the better of the wrestling against Makachev just as a little bit better wrestler, a little bit stronger guy. Um, and with more of that efficiency that I, that I talked to you about a few minutes ago, when Khabib was wrestling somebody, there's no question who's winning. Whether Khabib has gotten the takedown or not yet, if the other guy is crouched against the cage, trying to fight off the Dagestani leg ride from the outside and covering like this, even if Khabib isn't punching him yet, there's no question who's got the momentum and who's getting tired faster. Because the one dude is hyperventilating and Khabib is just circling like a shark. And then on top of that, I agree that there's a certain intangible, there's a meanness. I'm old school enough that I go, well, yeah, Mark Coleman and Mark Kerr. Mark Kerr was a better technical wrestler. He was much better natural athlete. He was in his physical prime where Coleman didn't even start fighting in MMA until he was in his 30s. But one of those dudes was a mean guy that liked to throw down, and the other was actually kind of a kind and sensitive dude that, you know, threatened to drop out of his first tournament in Brazil if he saw blood, and he didn't mean his own. Like, 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I'm not saying Mikhashev isn't mean. Like, plenty of people will attest to that. Uh, ask, Tiago, ask Tiago Moises or Bobby Green, you know, whether Mikhashev is a nice guy. But Dan Hooker's arm. Yeah, that. but that kind of like classic, stereotypical, ice-cold Russian thing where it's a reason why Khabib was such a, a source of the hilarious sound bites because he would just say the coldest shit with this funny Russian accent and like no expression smish you know that kind of sure shit. so I, I agree they're both pit bulls but like Habib is the pit bull that you fed some gunpowder to <laughs> you know what I mean like he's just like you know he's just really and Volk and Volk has that like he, he's got that dog in him where like he has that meanness he has a mean streak um, he will go to war. He will, when the time, like when time gets tough, like Bolt gets going, like he's, he's that dude. Um, I, Craig Jones in his corner, he's already talking about having counters for these, you know, head and arm positions that Islam likes to go for. Craig Jones is a guy that's grappling game is, is kind of, it's really a game like his is built to combat some built to be combative toward combat sambo specialist um you know if if they're the a he's the z he's the other side and he man i just think volk's got the tools to get this done i didn't know who i was going to pick until i started talking about it um my heart tells me islam because islam i do think he, he's bigger he can get the back control if he wants to win an aljamain sterling type fight where he just nullifies volk for three rounds and doesn't die he could totally win a fight like that but something tells me something special is going to happen on friday um i feel like volk might just go out there and be willing to he did get hurt he was getting counterpunched very beautifully by Islam. He was go to the body. Islam will pull back and rip him with straight shots, straight lefts. Islam's southpaw striking game is going to give Volk some problems here, but I think Volk might just go for it. I think Volk might might get it done here. Yeah, I, I mean, I am not going to spoil my actual final pick. You can go check out my preview show. I've already talked about this fight, I think, longer than I did on there. But uh, you aren't the only person that thinks he might pull off something remarkable at uh, the old Eddie Hat Arena on Yaz Island on Saturday. This is going to be a long episode, guys. Um, go listen. To, if you're listening to this show, you already listened to Ben and Keith's show. It's a very good show. It's a wonderful show. Um, tell me what you guys in the comments think who's going to win this fight. Um I'll be ready to come back and eat some crow next week. Um, until then, thank you, Ben. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to come on and talk about these fights with me. And you bet. hope everyone enjoys the fights. Absolutely.